It's Behind the Headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I am executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the websites 27East.com and SagHarborExpress.com. With me is my co-host, Bill Sutton, who is managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, guys. And, and we have sort of a Riverhead North Fork focused panel today. We have Denise Civiletti, who is the editor of Riverhead Local, the website. Hey, Denise. Good morning. How are you? And Grant Parpin, who's an editor up at the Times Review Media Group, which covers Riverhead and the North Fork. Good morning, Grant. Good morning, everyone. Good to have you both back. So um, let's start our conversation in Southhold this week. Uh, Grant, there's, in, there's a situation up there uh, involving eminent domain, which, which is really something you don't see a lot of out of local governments, but it's, it's creating a little bit of a stir at a property in Southhold, correct? Yeah, it's um, the Brinkman Hardware, uh, the family that owns Brinkman Hardware. They have a few locations across Suffolk County, and they had purchased a property some years ago here in Southold where they were looking to build a um, a hardware store. It's right. Actually, it's in Mattatuck uh, on the main road uh, just before Love Lane, which is kind of a, a crazy intersection. And it's it's sort of an unusual spot to put a hardware store, especially because there's already a popular hardware store or Lowski hardware right on on Love Lane. Uh, and it's it's a parcel that uh, the town and the local civic has said in recent years, though it wasn't something that was discussed much publicly, not something I ever really heard about, that they think the property should be preserved and be sort of a passive park, just preserved and left to be woodlands like it is now as part of a, a plan to maybe acquire some parcels and make Mattituck a little more walkable. Um, so the town, originally there was a building moratorium. Then they uh, started the process of eminent domain, which they're going forward uh, with to acquire the parcel, which is you know a pretty unusual step. Uh, and the owners of Brinkman's feel very strongly that's a violation of their property rights, uh, that, that you know they should be able, they bought that parcel, they should be able to, to develop it. And so there's a lot of litigation going on about this. And, and uh, just this past week, the judge, it's a, a federal case. Um, and the judge uh, determined that they, they asked for a preliminary injunction. The judge said no. Basically saying this thing can go forward. They're still waiting on the written opinion. But the judge also said in there that they um, that they uh you know, I don't want to misquote the judge here, but but essentially said that they um, they 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 cannot um, go forward with this. So they're, they're likely to appeal it. Um, and uh, it looks like South Old Town is uh, going to be successful in, in the eminent domain in this property. It's, it's, it's a real talker here. There are a lot of people who feel strongly that you know, Brinkman Hardware should be able to build this, that the town can't retroactively say, oh, wait, we identified this as a park and therefore it should be a park. So we're going to acquire it. Can you identify just how rare it is for a town to use eminent domain and what and what that process, what does the town have to, to prove in order to just take over a property? You know, I've tried to think about, and Denise, you, you know, you cover uh, Riverhead Town more intensely than I cover any town, but I'm trying to think about, I, I mean, I can think back to one time when I covered Brookhaven Town where eminent domain was sort of a story. You know, it's usually when it's, when it happens, it's, you know, in this instance that I'm thinking of, it was, they wanted to put a roundabout on Whiskey Road in Middle Island and they had to acquire a little bit of a, a parcel, a bit of someone's parcel and they didn't want to give it up. And there was a little bit of a fight over it. it it's pretty rare because it's usually just acquiring sort of, you know, an extension of like the, the, the existing town right away, just a little bit of pushing what the town owns to do something typically in my experience with, you know, some sort of public works project, not to necessarily acquire a whole parcel that has slated for development um, and, and make it a park. And, and by the way, a park that they're calling a passive park where nothing's really going to happen with this park. So Denise has the, you, yeah, you're the, I mean, you're the lone one of us with, with a law degree here, Denise. So <laughs> yeah. you're, you're the one well, who can talk about this. You know, and, you know, we've reported on this over the years. I mean, uh, starting back when I was uh, at the paper I, before you came along even, I think. But because that was always kind of an issue in Riverhead um, when people were like saying, well, they should condemn those buildings that are just sitting there vacant and rotting and do something productive um, with them. And there were some, you know, chest beating and threats about that. But 
Um, you know, it's it's rarely used. There's not um, a lot of the like political uh, fortitude to do that. Um, there has to be. My understanding is there has to be a valid public purpose, um, and that would not include um, you know protecting an existing business <laughs> in town. So right. to the ex- I would imagine. I mean, I haven't looked at those papers, but I would imagine that uh, that's going to be part of the their lawsuit. Um, and, you know, it, it's uh, other than that, I mean, you know, the town can like basically go ahead and do it with the judge's order. And, um, you know, they they argue about the value of the property after the fact, kind of like they don't have to have the, the money up front. Um, you it's know, kind of a nuclear option, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean and, and, for dealing with and, and days gone by, it was like, OK, we're, we need to build a firehouse or we need to build a hospital or we need to. You know, I mean, in the old in, in the old days, that was the intent, I think, the original yeah. intent of 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 that, you know, that that law um, to be able to 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 do that. It doesn't sound like there's an, a, an immediate need for a park in, in Southhold that, that I mean, would justify and, that. And, and the uh, Brinkman say that they twice uh, put, put the property on the market and they never heard from the town at all. The right. town didn't engage in any yeah. discussions at that point to acquire the parcel. And it was only until they started putting their plans forward and spent all this money to try to develop this parcel that all of a sudden the town said, hold on a second. you know. And I think a lot of it is that you have a, a newly formed civic association. When I say newly, I mean just within the last four or five years uh, so that, that maybe wasn't as in, engaged. Uh, there wasn't necessarily that organization within the community that was fighting for this sort of thing. But the Civic feels very passionately that that parcel should remain as is. It is a horrible intersection there. You get it's this three-way intersection just beyond where this property is. They're already looking to put a roundabout in there to sort of re- redo that. So as you're sort of reimagining that area, it would be advantageous to have that parcel proposed rather than a hardware store that people are trying to, to, to get in and out of. Uh, so did, and, and, you know, you do have a hardware store right there. I mean, that's that that's it, it makes it sort of questionable why what the market is for a hardware store there, though, I so guess, uh, you know, there's that's, for the, that's for the market to decide. Right. I mean, that's yeah, not for yeah, the town, yeah, to, decide, not for the town to decide. It, sure. it's, it certainly is a nightmare of an intersection, though. I mean, especially, yeah. you know, in season, it's uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but sure. there's that, like a kind of a big curve and uh, mm-hmm. Love Lane comes into it. And that other road, I yeah, old, sa- old, old Sound Avenue, old Sound, it's yeah, really like, a mess. But Denise, just to kind of put this into perspective, the way that that towns deal with a particular parcel that might be troublesome in the way it would develop, it seems to me that there's levels and the levels go. Zoning is one way you deal with that is that you just say, because of concerns about how this might might develop, we're just going to zone it so that it can't be developed that way. If that's not the option, then you look at something like the Community Preservation Fund, where, where it's used to buy properties that are troublesome. But of course, the catchphrase there always is a willing seller. You have to have somebody Absolutely. who's willing to sell. But eminent domain is the last of those options, it seems to me. And it's, it's so rarely deployed, and especially, as you said, um, it has to be done for some type of a public benefit. And Bill mentioned hospitals, things like that. It seems to me treading dangerous water when, when you're talking about doing it for uh, in any way, if, if, there, if it enters into it, that it's about helping an existing business. That's, that's a little worrisome uh, once it reaches the courts, right? Well, absolutely. I think that would be an argument that the attorney for the property owner would make, uh, as well as, you know, was this anywhere on, any in any plan as a park like i i don't think that's the that's the case i mean um you know if they're just all of a sudden going to decide this is going to be the perfect place for a park well how do you justify that they're going to need to i think be able to to try to justify that uh i don't know but um it's definitely uh if nothing else going to be very contentious and i would say probably costly if they're fighting it and the judge says what the judge said what could proceed the 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 eminent domain proceeding could go forward. Is that yeah. I'm sorry? Yes, and and said that um, that it also ruled. I, I didn't have it up at the time, but that she found that the Brinkmans have waived their right to challenge Southold's public use determination. I think the translation. She hasn't uh, released her written opinion yet, so people didn't want to speculate too much. But I think the speculation is that she's trying to say that maybe this isn't the appropriate venue. That that the public the uh, eminent domain proceeding is ongoing 
they, they should have challenged it there rather than taking it to federal court that they, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, there was earlier stages where they could have fought this and didn't. Um, so why are they bringing this federal case forward? Uh, the attorney for the Brinkman's who's a property rights attorney. They're actually doing this pro bono. It's a group called um, Institute for Justice. And they file these kind of suits in these kind of cases. They're doing a pro bono for the Brinkman. So this this is going to be a long fight. It's going to be really interesting. You know, and the other option, too, that you do in these kind of instances is the moratorium, which they did. Uh, sometimes if you you know, want to, it's a stall tactic. You know, you do it for six months. I think in this case, they extended it out for two years. But the interesting thing was other projects under the moratorium did get done. You know, they had to go before the ZBA or the planning board and get special permission to proceed. And, and they were able to proceed. It really just prevented this project from getting done for two years. And, and you also need a moratorium to delay for a purpose, right? I mean, you have to have yeah. a, an end game for that moratorium. We're, we're holding off on this so that we yeah. can do X and, and, uh, has yeah. Well, how do you see all this? This is going to end up going into the courts in this eminent domain fight. For a uh, long, proper. it's going to be a long, a it's long court be a battle. Lengthy battle, isn't it? And it sounds yeah, like no. the property owners are, are really committed to to, to fighting this um, to the end, right? Yeah, I, I think they are, and they've obviously partnered this with this group. That I guess their interest in this sort of thing is they're they're you know they're property rights attorneys that they want to see this this case proceed in a manner that's you know, establishes some sort of case law that's advantageous to other uh, considerations. And the Brinkman say that they don't want to see this happen to somebody else. And that's why they're fighting it. I really don't see it going away. I don't necessarily have a great head, you know, a great sense for where this is going to end up ultimately. But I do think that there's an interesting case to be made on both sides of this issue. I think the Brinkmans have themselves an interesting case here. I think it's something that I'd imagine could go on and on that they could be successful appealing this initial decision and, and go from there. And what's the status of the, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask you as an attorney, uh, you know, the, the town benefits from a lengthy battle because it keeps that property from being developed. Right. Well, except it also comes at great expense. At a great expense. You know, they have outside counsel representing them on this sort of thing. It's, you know, it's not necessarily the, the thing that gets interesting is, you know, taxpayers are paying for this sort of thing. And mm-hmm. how long do they want to pay for this? Is this popular among residents? My sense is that most people in the community do not want to see this developed as a hardware store. But I think there are is a strong segment of the the population, including two council people who voted against eminent domain, that feel pretty strongly for property rights. I mean, there are people who want you know how it is. There are people out there who think the government shouldn't be able to do anything with the property. Uh, so certainly that segment of the community is is infuriated by this. And, and so this, this proposed store would fit into uh, zoning, uh, existing zoning on the property. It's yeah, not like I, they would need special uh, special permits or. I, I believe so. Exemption. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not positive. My story this week didn't really focus on on, yeah. on that. I know we've reported on that in the past. Other reporters have. Um, but, you know, I think uh, I, I think that obviously they're going through this eminent domain process because some of the other traditional remedies would would, would not work. Right. To, to stop Denise, this from being built. Denise, I interrupted you. You, you were going to make a point. Yeah, I mean, I just have a bunch of questions. I mean, like, did, they, did the town try to negotiate? a, you know, a, a purchase and sale. Um, what's the status? Of, and I imagine you have these answers off the top of your head, Grant, but, uh, you know, like what's the status of the eminent domain proceeding? The town went to court to try to get an order to buy it. And presumably from what. And the, I, th- that's I, ongoing. I think they're yeah. awaiting some sort of decision on that right now. Uh, that that hasn't happened yet. Um, but I think uh, and I think that's from what the lawyers were saying this week, that that's still a long way off from the eminent domain to being being finalized. Um, but I think, um, you know, they have proceeded with this. I think that from what the Brinkmans have said is their uh, attempts to purchase this property happened very late. It happened just before the eminent domain that in the past they weren't interested in. It and it was like sort of a just while this building moratorium was going on that all of a sudden they had an interest in trying to buy the property. And the Brinkman said they just, they weren't interested in selling it anymore that they'd already gone forward with their plans to build. And that's what they wanted to do. Hmm. 
it's a classic impasse, it sounds like. But yeah. uh, as you as you noted, those can end up being very costly for both sides. But for the meantime, that's a that's a key parcel uh, in Mattituck that I think a lot of people are going to be keeping a close eye on. And a lot of big issues there, too. As you said, you know, the property rights um, versus what's good for a community. Those are all sort of in play. That's fascinating stuff. Good, uh, good, good reporting uh, for you guys up that way, keeping an eye on the situation. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw of the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton of the Express News Group. And with us today, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local and Grant Parpin from uh, the Times Review Media Group. So there's another development. Um, this one's up around Calverton, uh, that's creating a bit of a stir, a bit of a splash. Can we say that? Uh, that's, that's awful, and I apologize for it. Um, Island Water Park. What update me here? This is this is a property not far from um, Splish Splash, the existing water park, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, proposed for the uh, Epcal property. There's uh, existing ball fields there right on uh, Main Road in Calverton, and it w- it's uh, behind there. You can actually see the structure, uh, a-, a part of this project that that has, uh, has already been built. And I think a lot of people drive past and wonder, what is that? And probably have no idea that it's going to be a uh, water park, let alone the headline in the New York Post this week, and this is what's caused create such a stir. The quote is smaller version of Disney nice. water park set to open on Long Island. And that quote could be attributed to the town supervisor of Ed Aguiar, who told the Post it's going to be a smaller version of Disney, which created quite a stir and has had a lot of media TV stations out here this week. Uh, I think Newsday wrote something about it this week. Everybody is. Uh, this, this project that's been in the pipeline for quite a while and has uh, made headlines for us and, and, and for you guys, I'm sure, Denise. Uh, but now all of a sudden is this sensational story because people are envisioning Mickey Mouse coming to town. A tiny, <laughs> so like, a Grant, tiny version you, of Mickey Mouse. Have you been have you been there? I mean, I, I went there, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago um, yeah. and I met with the owner who's been working on this for like since I don't know. First, he had property on Young's Avenue. He wanted to do mm-hmm. this, and the town told him, "No, uh, why don't you buy some property? We just got this property. Why don't you buy some property here?" And this is actually only the second, and I think the the only other sale that the town has uh, finalized at the Epcal site. I mean, not counting the fifty acres that they kind of gave to the state for the incubator site, right? I mean that. They sold the property to Jan Berman, and this is the only other sale that they actually got money for. Um, and um, this yeah. guy has just been, uh, he, he was originally, I was saying before, he was originally digging a hole to make a, a big hole <laughs> to make a man-made lake um, for water skiing. And yeah. um, people always kind of looked, I remember I, back, I was at Times Review at the time, and you know, in the newsroom, we were like, what? You're going to make that man-made lake we're surrounded by water here why would you need the water ski there so but he did it a lot of people were suspicious that he was just like sand mining sand mining Um, yeah but um you know the guy absolutely maintains and i did a little looking into this and uh you you dug into it a little huh he did not export sand he (laughs) he says you know absolutely not that isn't what went on and uh, i won't bore you with the details of like that side story about it but um, I so is the, I is the Disney him. World is the Disney World? Oh, if that's a complete brand, I mean, it's, it's it's yeah, it's way overblown. That's it's not a Disney anything. I mean, it's, no, so, I mean they want to have like surfing there, like some kind of surf pool. You know, he's got he um, built this indoor surf pool. He's got yeah. this big building that he was. So th- that's the building you can see from the road. Yeah, yeah, it was originally going to be some kind of storage building, but after all the plans changed because. Once he hit groundwater, when they were digging, oh, I left that out. He was digging this hole, he hit groundwater. So then he couldn't have like boats in the water for water skiing anymore. So now he can have like electric powered watercraft, paddle boats, that kind of thing. The property is beautiful. It's really a beautiful environment. So this building has become like a a place for attractions and um, he wants to have corporate conferences there. They're putting in a restaurant. Um, and he, he built this surf pool in there. Um, I, I won't hazard a guess at the size. I don't know, but I mean, it's not gigantic, but, and you can take like surfing lessons there and all, 
and surf. Like it's a wave pool of, yeah. of some sort, I guess is the right way. But, you know, there really are no, um, unless things drastically changed since I was there, <laughs> there really are no, um, uh, like water rides. Per no, se, I mean, they, those, you know? yeah, they want to do a Ninja Warrior obstacle course, bumper boats, rock climbing, there would be a restaurant there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 not Disney. And what's interesting about these. So, so that it's not is, really it's not really competition so much for Splish Splash. No. And, and that it's, it's huge water like slides and stuff. I don't know. No, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's it's interesting because I don't know, really know where this comes from. You, you kind of wonder, like, who got in someone's ear at the post that all of a sudden this becomes a, a story for the post? Like, is it advantageous for someone? in the town is it does the town just want a success story at epcal is that why this is uh, uh be, being oh, brought to a paper in new york city i actually wanted to take a step back and talk epcal is is a fascinating thing to me over the years can can you guys give me a, a primer on the epcal property i mean i know it's just, we're talking about in, in really five minutes or less it's a, it's an unusual circumstance that that Riverhead has it with that property, correct? Denise, take it away, and I'll go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I, you know, so look, you know, we all know Grumman Aircraft, Grumman Aerospace was there many years, nineteen fifties to nineteen like ninety six. Um, they left because they that it became obsolete for them. Uh, the Navy then. Um, federal government by legislation passed by, passed by George Hockbrucker, as he likes to remind the town every once in a while, uh, uh, the Navy conveyed it to the town for a buck. And that was the first big mistake. I mean, I came to the conclusion after visiting um, an, an abandoned air base in Massachusetts that uh, has been successfully redeveloped as an industrial park <laughs> that the town from the very beginning was just in way over its head on this, number one. And number two, did not have the resources. Like redeveloping a site like this, it's, a, it's the largest undeveloped industrial track on the East Coast or in the North or whatever. It's like massive. And it takes money and expertise to really do this. And that was just out of the town's reach from the very beginning. And that really didn't crystallize for me until I visited this Devon Air Force Base up in uh, Massachusetts with, with on a bus driven by Councilman Jim Wooten. Uh, Tim Gannon was there. <laughs> uh, you know, the town board went up to look at this site. And um, I even wrote a column about it at the time. It's like, you know, this, this was out of our reach from the beginning and I don't know what's going to happen now. It's um, something you need an overall vision for, right? It's not something you want to do piecemeal. And it seems like that's the way that, yeah, that and, it's being I mean, approached you know, is here and, you know, spots here and there, there. The town has spent a whole lot of money trying to make this work. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the first thing they did was sell what everybody calls the industrial core where Grumman's buildings were and stuff. Right. So, you know, the buildings that you see when you're driving by 25, the, uh, the aircraft and control tower, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they, they sold that to a developer who then went and transferred pieces of it to other businesses without getting subdivision approval. Hmm. So these businesses took like bridge loans or something to buy, you know, what Vivilla food, there were a bunch of them to buy land from this developer. And then they couldn't, um, you know, get get uh, real, you know, final mortgages or anything because they still didn't have legal lots. They couldn't get COs, you know. So that was like a whole, I mean, it, it, that's been just an ongoing saga. Um, that finally got um, cleared up. And uh, then there was like the ongoing saga of, are the roads going to be town roads because they blah, blah, blah. And that just finally got cleared. I mean, so this is like how many years later, right? Um, that, but in the meanwhile right? now- yeah. They've got this gigantic piece of mostly undeveloped land um, that, um, you know, they they zoned initially in a way that I think was kind of crazy for things like recreation, parks and theme parks. So we had all kinds of crazy uh, proposals come down the pike for that site, including a ski mountain, an indoor ski mountain. Kind of ironically, <laughs> I um, love the idea of an indoor ski mountain. That's yeah. amazing to me. Well, so you don't want to get too cold. 
the people that Townsend contract with to buy, to buy the property now actually own an indoor ski mountain in, at American Dream Mall in New yeah. Jersey. But uh, that's just sort of a little so, weird. Sounds like a good spot for a casino, huh, Grant? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Maybe. Denise, I have a confession to make. Yeah. I went on vacation to the uh, American Dream Mall. Yeah, I, <laughs> I went. So, I said, I said, Vera, none of this can be posted to social media. <laughs> it's, it was February. We were just getting out of COVID, you know, freshly vaccinated. How, how can we spend our time? It's too cold. What can we do? Let's go into a um, indoor water park. And that was the one. <laughs> And man, did I feel dirty the whole time. Well, so you've become a nice major Nickelodeon park is open, right? So we went, yeah, it's the DreamWorks Water Park and also the Nickelodeon Park. And the Nickelodeon Park was kind of, to be honest, kind of a nightmare, like just so crowded. It's just the longest lines. And we left after like two hours. Uh, wow. But the, the water park actually was quite fun. But yeah, you see right next to it is the indoor ski mountain. And you just get a sense of, what could be at Epcal? Can you imagine we'll have <laughs> we'll have that? We'll have Splish Splash right there, and we will have Mini Disney. But see, this is what's <laughs> always fascinated me is the potential of Epcal seems to just be too great. It's a white elephant. There's really it's so big and there, it's a blank canvas. And because of that, everybody's just paralyzed by 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 all the possibilities. And to me, that's the argument for selling to these guys right now. That would be the argument. Just get this thing off your hands. You know, yeah. I think a lot that's, of people say that. Absolutely. I think that's the only reason that. why it was uh, why they approved this contract. Don't you think, Denise? It's just like what well, we got to oh, get rid I, of this thing. We cannot have this hanging over our head any longer. And whatever happens, so you know, be Grant, I'm I'm really not so sure about that because yeah. I, I mean I, I feel like after going to Devon's I feel like uh, Sean Walter like kind of you know he had his vision corrected <laughs> and um, like at that point the town decided to pursue a 50 lot subdivision of that site because they had the realization that hey this is just too big they changed the zoning so that you can't have indoor ski mountains and things like that there anymore and and they. And they wanted to develop it as an industrial subdivision. And they spent close to a million bucks hmm. getting that done. Like, you know, the map, negotiating with the DEC, because there's all kinds of environmental issues there and, um, you know, habitat and stuff like that. So, like, it was very complicated. They were pursuing this 50-lot subdivision. Like, the finish line, I think, was kind of like insight, you know. And then Daniel Pressing comes along. And he's the guy from Illuminati Aerospace. And he convinced key people, starting with the supervisor, that the former supervisor, Sean Walter, that this was that he was going to do some these amazing things. He's going to achieve perpetual flight. He was going to bring Internet to parts of the world that that can't don't have it because they can't access them. And he was going to have these uh, unmanned aerial vehicles circling the earth perpetually, like up in the upper atmosphere. Hmm. And um, let's just say the town really did not investigate this man enough, <laughs> <laughs> but like fell for this whole thing, <laughs> line and sinker. And, it's like the uh, music entered, man. Yeah. Entered, oh yeah, right here in River City. And, and, he, and, he, and they entered into this contract to sell all of their remaining vacant land there to him. Um, for $40 million, uh, 1,643 acres, um, about a thousand acres of which can't, can't really be used for development because they are environmentally sensitive. So that's, you know, set that teed things up for um, this, the, the Gramazian family to come in. And, um, you know, in, in reality, it appeared that Illuminati Aerospace really didn't have the resources to buy this land, let alone develop it. And I mean, there's, you know, we've both written, you know, both of our publications have written a lot about this. And I, some, I went through a period of time where I was dreaming about it. Even I was writing so much about this <laughs> and, and like, you know, so he, he basically, um, you know, became a minority shareholder in a company that um, the Gramazian, uh, an affiliate of Triple Five Realty, Triple Five Group uh, owns the majority of, and he's since kind of left town. Um, and now we've got uh, the Gramazians. 
and triple five. And the interesting thing is really that the contract of sale, which they pulled out at the like the public didn't even get to see this contract of sale before they voted on it. Okay. And um, he the contract of sale was to this entity that's you know Luminati and Triple Five. And the letter of intent that the town signed with Luminati a year earlier um, said that the contract was that the property was going to be sold to Illuminati or a wholly owned subsidiary of Illuminati. And clearly this wasn't the case, but the town went ahead and did it anyway. It was a split vote, but three to two, they passed it. And that kind of put the town in the spot that eventually, you know, that it's in. And, um, and the, let, the let me tell you something goes on, but yeah, let me tell you yeah. something about Daniel Preston. I took one look at that mustache and I said, that is not a man. That is not a man to be trusted. It was way too perfectly groomed. A guy like was, that just sits in front of a mirror all day, grooming his mustache, twist, thinking about twist. nefarious things to do. You know, I have, so I have I, I've spoken with people that have had dealings with him and needed to complain and get things off their chest. Um, literally from every continent, and, yeah, and, <laughs> literally. And then, and then uh, you know, I, I, I remember, I, and my only, I really haven't reported personally on this much, um, but I did write a column about how I found that guy very suspicious years ago. And part of my, so it was the mustache first. And then I'm looking into, he had like, he was like a chocolatier. People were saying everything about this guy. If you read any article about him, it's how he's great. Like, you know, like he's like the greatest thing about chocolate, like as if chocolate wasn't the greatest thing ever for like hundreds of years before he was born. <laughs> And so I look at his chocolate factory on Google Maps and then I just happened to like hit the mouse pad over a little and it turned around and I see there was just a mural of him and some woman like out in front of it. I'm like, this guy's got a mural of himself, too. I mean, let's relax on this guy. He's really really Wonka. (laughs) All you have to do anything, any of these things, all you have to do is just scratch the surface a little tiny bit. I mean, yeah. Could you imagine, though, pulling out of the Southampton press office and there's a mural of Joe Shaw on a billboard across the street? No, there is though. Yeah. Oh, good <laughs> Lord, please stop. You know, the, the murals, the murals inside the building, Grant, <laughs> for us to if see. I had to ask you guys to, to place a bet. Do you think anything significant will be built at Upcal in 10 years? Oh. Or does this just I'll, I'll, t- I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. I used to say, I hope something certainly happens in my lifetime when I was a lot younger. <laughs> I don't say that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, it's a great question. I mean, I think you would have to say, I would have to say no. I would just yeah, have to say no. Just, I just feel like it's never, like nothing's ever going to happen there. It's so, just like, such a big. You know, everybody's different. raised a lot of questions about the ability of this, of this group to, to do the development uh, or do any development. You know, the, they're ha- they've gotten into some jams because of, um, I think, you know, overextending themselves on that project in New Jersey that, uh, you know, they're the third developer trying to finish it. And then, you know, COVID hit and they, they you know, they're, they own their claim to fame is retail malls, you know. Um, however, they have a lot of other things and I think they have a lot of money. So I think yeah. they, they could certainly do something with the property. I don't think, you know, what that is going to be. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, I think they've got the resources to do something. The question is, is it going to be allowed to happen? I mean, you know, there's even if they get the, I don't like, even if they're ready, they are ready. They keep saying, we're ready to go. We're ready to go. The town's in a bind because the town really, the DEC has put the town on notice that they're going to have to prove to the DEC, which has the jurisdiction over this, that they can not only supply that whatever development is going to happen there with water from the Riverhead Water District, but that they have to show the DEC that the Riverhead Water District has the has the capability to serve the needs of its district. And that's, you know, unfortunately, the reality is that's very questionable right now for a lot of reasons, uh, like deferred infrastructure development and maintenance, for instance. And, um, you know, they've been put on notice also by the DEC that if uh, if a site is not already within the water district, if there's not already like a main in front of the, the property or connected to the, the site, um, that's actually now that's the, the that's the Suffolk County Water Authorities to to own and mm-hmm. have. And so, who they, supplies water to the site is becomes a part of the whole debate here. 
it's a big, I mean, like that's really a big, that's the 800 pound gorilla in the room or whatever, because, you know, that's, they can't go anywhere without that. And so the town has actually now sued the DEC over that decision. This was in a notice of incomplete application that they got, or two of them actually that they got. And, you know, the Suffolk County Water Authority wants to serve this site. It's going to be a big customer. Uh, and um, so they're not, you know, consenting. And the DEC says, you know, you got to show that you can, and also you got to get the water authority's consent. And I don't know, that's not happening on any day, you know, when a snowball can freeze and melt. I have to yeah. confess that I, that I have a little bit of a grudge against uh, Riverhead Town when it comes to Epcal because I held tickets for the music festival about 15 <laughs> years ago, and it was going to be my chance to see Radiohead and beastie boys and they can't i still have my tickets grant yeah they, they they're tucked away in a book somewhere and unfortunately yeah. that never happened so i'm still a little i'm still a little raw about that so I I have yeah. a joe, joe workmeister somewhere joe workmeister also had tickets and uh he he's he's very uh yeah. Uh, upset it's, about that still it stings i mean it yeah. would have been like the coolest thing i mean i grew up right there you know in lake panamoka like you know just a couple miles down the road and it's like I was living in California at the time of that. And I heard about that and I was like, wait, that's going on there. And Cal- like what is going on? You know, it felt, like, it, yeah. it felt like divine intervention of some kind of time, but anyway. the town was in, the town was in court over that. The ta- you know, the town pulled out of its, uh, a previous, uh, special event. Uh, okay. Like a week before it was going to happen or they decided not to approve. Yeah, and, just- and like, uh, you know, the, the town was in court over that until fairly recently. God Is knows, right? I don't, you know, how much it cost us as taxpayers here. But, uh, but yeah. That? And I, I um, just feel like there's always going to be these hurdles at that property. You know, right. I have to answer your question and go back to your question, Joe, like I just have more faith in, in mother nature doing something with that property and climate change <laughs> doing something with that property than anybody getting anything approved there, because there's just always going to be a hurdle. I mean, just the access to that property. I mean, what are people going down William Floyd or are they going up by like splish splash and then circling back? Like, how do you get there for anything that would attract the masses to that? Remember ground? the like, air show grit? Yeah. Yeah. 2003. You know, they had it. The town had an air show there. There was bumper to bumper traffic along 25 down William Floyd and onto the expressway. People exiting the expressway. That's how bad the traffic was. Now, I mean, that was, you know, an unusual event, but still. It's just fascinating to me. I mean, they have to add a new exit off the expressway, right? And they name it. They name it in honor of Dick Amper. They can't put over my dead body. Yeah. He said that once to me, like over my dead body. They'd have yeah, to strike I, a deal with him where they name it like instead of like exit 71 A or whatever, it's the Dick Amper exit. You know, he so gets like naming rights I, or something. I, I think that if it, if something comes along there that um, the state of New York wants to see happen there, anything can anything's fair game. Like, sure. I, you know. And I don't know what like the governor is supposed to be announcing the downstate casino sites this summer. Right. I mean, oh, yeah, that hasn't happened yet. Right. So, I mean, like I could I mean, not, not, I don't want to like, you know, uh, give give uh, voice to conspiracy theories here. But I mean, I could see that happening. Uh, like, that okay. to me is the most likely scenario. Yeah. yeah. And there and oh. there's your exit. There's your direct exit off the expressway. And I think the Shinnecock uh, nation is positioning itself to have to strike some kind of deal with the, the state at some point. So, you know, it's it all sort of there's a lot of moving parts kind that of lines up fall into place, yeah. but, it, oh, but it's yeah. at least feasible. No question. This is uh, behind <laughs> the headlines on WLIWFM. Uh I'm Joe Shaw from the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. We've got Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local and Grant Parpin from the Times Review Media Group. Um, Denise, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about uh, a great story you did this week. Uh, I, I really think our organizations live and die on the feature stories and the profiles of local people. And I think you did a great one this week on a local police officer. Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, uh, this was uh, police officer uh, Rob Sprossen, who uh, was um, on the force for three years. He was 28 years old. He was um, heading north on Osborne Avenue last March, um, uh, trying to kind of get to uh, Sound Avenue to try to cut off um, a guy that was fleeing 
police in a chase that started in South Old Town and um, allegedly stolen vehicle. And I think uh, another uh, larceny or burglary, I, I forget what. But anyway, um, Rob was uh, heading north and um, went to pass a vehicle that was also northbound. And then that vehicle attempted to turn left onto um, Young's Avenue and uh, there was a collision. Um, in his effort to avoid the car, he uh, crashed into a fence and uh, on the corner of Young's and, and um, Osborne and uh, a pole from the fence um, uh, went in one cheek and out the other. He destroyed his jaw. He was he was a mess. Um, and uh, it happened that this was like a this is like a script from that touched by an angel show or something. The, the, uh, the uh, 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 a trauma surgeon ha just happened to be on his way to work passed there right after this happened. And actually, and then another guy who was headed to the, an ER tech also stopped right then. Wow. And yeah, like how, you know, and um, literally he, saved he, his life. Yeah, he, he established they hadn't been there. He, he just would have... Yeah, they established an airway. And then, you know, that the the, uh, the medics got there and, um, you know, they stabilized them. But, you know, his whole jaw was destroyed. He, he was a mess. And, you know. Peter came home from that scene and said, you know, he, he saw police officers and brass literally crying at the scene. Like it was just, you know, um, the guy's father was a, a Riverhead volunteer firefighter. So is, so is Rob. And um, he was on a truck responding to the accident and they wouldn't let him get, they said, you have to stay on the truck. That that's Rob, you know, so they wouldn't let him see. So I interviewed him. Um, as well, and just what a story! I mean, he, he and, and after it, he, he and he's made a, a, a complete recovery, right? He's back on uh, back on the force. He, he is. He's uh, he's gonna he's gonna he has to go to the range to requalify. Um, but he has made a complete recovery. He, it's been a long a long road for him. He needs a couple more surgeries to continue to like cosmetic uh, surgeries for his like the the uh, left side of his face. Sorry, um, it, like the muscles not working yet. I need to do something with that. And he's got like his his um, mouth on that side of his face doesn't like he can't smile and use it fully. So there's going to be two more surgeries. That, but he is he's got to be like the most positive person I've ever met in my mm. life. And he's just I mean, he, he's like, you know, I've been this is such a gift. I've been gifted my life. Like that, you know, you makes you realize your life is a gift always, but something like that happens and it brings that really, you know, to the fore. And um, he's just, he's a great guy. He's a Marine, he's a Marine reservist and uh, fire volunteer firefighter. And um, he's just a, a great young man with a positive attitude. That's, uh, you know, just such an inspiration. And it was just, I, I had such a great talk with him uh, few days ago sitting on my back deck of my house because he lives yeah. not far from me actually and um you know they it's had just that a privilege coming last year it, it, yeah it's a privilege to be able to tell stories like that right? absolutely I mean, yeah it's the best part of the job to me i really enjoy uh being able to tell people about the amazing people in the community uh, i think you did a great job but that's at riverhead local especially uh, especially you know such a small com community where you have i mean this this guy's friends and neighbors were the ones that responded to the accident. His father yeah. responded to the accident and, and it's just incredible in this community and to, to have everybody pull together and support him too. And I, I, I was, I was struck in, in your article when, when he came home from the hospital that everybody that responded to, to welcome him back and, and even airplanes from the 106 rescue wing that, that flew over yeah. and, and just everybody. And, and that's just, it's the wonderful thing to see about, you know, our, our small communities here. Yeah, it was amazing to the people. Yeah. It's great to see him back on the job. I mean, you know, you talked about his, this is a guy, you look at his resume. It's a guy who was just built for this, you know, like this is what, what he should be doing. And to have an injury, not only almost cut his life so dramatically short, but take him away from this thing that he was clearly born to do, you know, it's, it's pretty uplifting to see him back there. And your story had so many great details. I mean, he says they literally put him back together, you know, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. how dire it was. Bionic and, man. Uh, it's just yeah, uh, most really of his moving. jaw is metal. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But it's great. He looks it's a, good. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's a happy ending, which is, yeah. which yeah. is, you know, we That's, don't always get to tell those. Absolutely. So I, yeah. I was like, you know, we all need to, we all need stories like that to work on once in a while because this job can certainly get to all of us. Right. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I speak it for and myself, I guess. That's actually a transition. <laughs> for all of us. I did want to talk briefly about a story that you guys did at the times review this week, um, Grant about, um, a bus driver and and uh, uh, situation there. And we want to be careful because there are criminal charges involved, and we, we don't want to mm-hmm. go go too overboard here. But what a scary situation in, involving a bus driver uh, who's facing some pretty serious allegations. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'll use the word allegedly. Uh, allegedly, she uh, she um, was uh, she's accused of uh, driving the bus uh, with a point two seven blood alcohol content. Uh, she uh, crashed the bus twice. It was, she was picking up students from the uh, Baiting House Scout Camp, which is actually the camp where my son, where I was dropping my son off uh, just before the show. Oh, and uh, uh, my son's a scout. And, uh, you know, it's a great camp. It's day camp for kids uh, who are in the scouting program. And it's been going on forever. It's um, my son is having the time of his life. It's just this really scary incident. Some of the kids, mostly from Western Suffolk County, they get bus there. There was 10 kids on this bus. She picked them up and she crashed first into a truck and, and this was then, in the morning right uh this was in the afternoon coming oh, okay. home at 4 30 and then she uh crashed into this there's a stone pillar in front of the oak hill community that's really recognized it's a landmark as you're driving by and and she took out a part of that and um luckily the camp to their credit they put counselors they make sure that there's a counselor on each bus so uh the counselor sent something was wrong uh, and um, between her and the uh, camp director, the police were notified. They were able to stop the bus and the woman was arrested. She's charged. You know, it's obviously a Leandra's law situation. So she's facing a felony charge. Uh, the bus company has since uh, terminated her employment. Hmm. Um, and, you know, this is a school bus that she was driving. This is, uh, you know, it's chartered in the summertime for programs like this. And, uh, you know, it's a really sad story. And, uh, you know, obviously um, she ha- ha- has not been uh convicted of anything and, and yes we do want to be sensitive to that and care none, none of the kids were hurt correct none of the, no one was injured you know and so that's uh, that's the good news on on that story yeah and everybody was back at camp and like i said i mean i just happened to be it's one of those things where it's difficult where you get the story in front of you I wake up in the morning, I got to write this story. And I'm like, I'm about to drop my kid off at this camp. Uh, But, you know, I get the sense that the camp did all the right things um, and and that spirits are still pretty high at the camp this week. So in that sense, it has a little bit of a happy ending, but it's it's a scary thing. And, you know, there's this bit of you know, I I got a call the other day from Elisa McMorris, whose um, son, Andrew, was killed by a drunk driver, was a scout. And they just dedicated the lodge at the scout camp in the McMorris family name. They raised money for this lodge there. So it's this really, um, you know, the the irony that this would happen to um, to the scouting community so close together. And it just raises the awareness of, uh, you know, what the, the 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 problem of, of drunk driving, you know, assuming mm-hmm. that the charges are, are are correct. And that is, in fact, what happened. Could have been yeah. so much worse. I mean, it's so scary how, you know, what, what could have happened there. And, you know, the other side of the story, you hope that, that you know, that that this bus driver can um, um, can get some help with with what yes. what appears to, you know, to to be an issue there. Um, yeah. most, most most bus drivers are super you know, super aware and, and, you know, and would never doing, think of doing that. So, so if it, if it happened, you, you think maybe that, that there's a problem there and, and hopefully it's a great service that, that you're actually reporting on that story too, Grant. Yeah. So thanks for doing that. You know, we, we have a couple of minutes left and I did want to mention that this weekend is the 25th anniversary of the flight 800 crash off of the South shore, uh, that happened uh, back in 96 and we took a little poll and I don't think any of the four of us were actually uh, working on the East end uh, when it happened. But I, I think we, uh, at least Bill and Denise and I all arrived here shortly after. And I think you guys would agree that the Paul of that incident was still hanging over the region. I mean, it was still fresh in everybody's mind. I feel like uh, that the, the crash of TWA flight 800 was a major event for the region. It affected a lot of people. You had a lot of people, locals who were involved in the recovery efforts. Um, and certainly it was a lengthy investigation. 
that took place afterwards. It really touched a, a lot of lives on the East End. Denise, you, you, I think you guys would agree that that we still felt it when we got here a couple of years later, right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was here. I just I wasn't working as a reporter, right? Um, and um, you know, when when that happened. Um, you know, it, it absolutely cast a pall. And then, um, you know, the aftermath of it, the, the, uh, all of the different, um, witness, eyewitness accounts that came out of uh, that, um, led to a lot of speculation about what caused it. Um, and, um, of course, um, the, uh, you know, the, the plane was reconstructed. That was an amazing thing, actually what they did, but it was reconstructed in the, um, uh, plant six hangar at, at the Epcal, at the Epcal yeah, site. Exactly. And, um, you know, there are some uh, pretty breathtaking photos of that. And I remember the day that um, they transported the biggest pieces of that wreckage uh, out over there. Um, you know, it takes your breath away. I mean, uh, you know, something like that. People on a, on a plane going away, going to France, I think, right? They were headed to Europe. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. um, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the most remarkable thing to me, and, and it, it really uh, it dispels a lot of the conspiracy theories that floated around. I think they, they very clearly know the cause of that crash. And it, and it was a, it was a, it had to do with the, the center fuel tank and a, and a malfunction that's since been changed in all the design of the planes. But the most remarkable thing to me is that that crash happened something like 18 miles off land in water that was a mile deep. And they recovered 92% of that plane and all of the 230 bodies from uh, the plane. What a remarkable effort it, it, it took to, to do that. And I think to a, to a large degree, I think you touched on it, Denise, there, was, there were a lot of conspiracy theories floating around afterwards. And I think that the thoroughness of that investigation, which really took years and years. And Jim Kallstrom, who was the guy who led that investigation, just died earlier this month, uh, kind of ironically. Um, mm. He was in charge of that investigation and people I've spoken to said uh, he was just crucial to it. Um, uh, I think they really did a wonderful job in, in, in finally getting to the heart of the matter and getting rid of all of the rumors that floated around. So, yeah. And I know you just did a, a retrospective on that this week, and we, we did one five years ago, and I just want to say we're going to put that up. And uh, Steve Wick, who's our executive editor, uh, he actually was part of the Newsday team that won a Pulitzer for their breaking news coverage of that. And he was uh, the, the first reporter on the scene. And he, he uh, reread our story from five years ago last night, and he actually sent me this quick note. He said, I was out on a boat that night with a photographer, John Williams. We got to the crash site around midnight or so. It was just a sea of burning jet fuel, luggage, seats, big sheets of plastic, a real hellscape. Oh. I mean, the impact of all of that on the community and even on the journalism community, I think, can't be understated. So it's something to think about as we mark the 25th anniversary this weekend. Uh, we are out of time on Behind the Headlines. I want to thank both Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local and Grant Parpin of the Times Review Media Group for being here. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, also, Pleasure. thank you to my to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines. Uh, thank you for joining us this week, and we'll be back next week 